This week's show is brought to you by Loot Crate, the official sponsor of Enchanted Tiki Talk. Loot Crate is the world's greatest subscription box for geeks, gamers, pop culture, and Disney fans like you. Start your subscription now at www.lootcrate.com slash tiki talk. Vahini Mekioni Mana, ladies and gentlemen, no flashbulbs, please. Our performers are temperamental and easily upset. Thank you for your cooperation. Oh, look at all the people. My goodness, you're all staring at us. We better start the show rolling. Wait, wait, we forgot to wake up the glee club. Hey, howdy, hey, and thank you for joining us here on Enchanted Tiki Talk. We're your hosts. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. And I'm Alan. So grab yourself a dole whip, pull up a chair, and enjoy the show. This is episode 85 for the week of June 7th, 2015. This week, we are very excited to talk with an actor whose voice can be heard in many Disney theme parks around the world. He is also an accomplished voice match actor for Hollywood stars. Currently, he voices Sleepy from the Disney Channel series 7D and Grand Moff Tarkin in Star Wars Rebels. Please welcome Stephen Stanton into the Tiki Hut. Welcome, Stephen. Ah, thank you. I love the Tiki Hut. One of my uh, favorite haunts at uh, both of the theme parks, Walt Disney World and Disneyland. Uh, we're, you know, we're. T- awesome. I'm, I'm glad you like that. It's, you know, it's our show's namesake. So, uh, that's a good thing. But, uh, you know, we're so thankful that you're just taking time out of your day to uh, talk with us and our fans. So we appreciate it. Oh, no problem. I love, uh, love talking uh, Disney and Disney parks. Great. So uh, the first question I had was, did you find out at an early age that you like to do impressions and voices, or did it just come naturally? I think you know, like a lot of uh, a lot of my uh, colleagues when they were kids, we kind of uh, kind of started the same way in the sense that we were all kids that just sort of started mimicking other things that we heard, you know, on that uh, on that thing that we weren't supposed to watch too much of, and that's television. Right. Uh, you know, television going to the movies uh, didn't lend itself to uh, to mimicking as much as TV did because as TV you had especially on Saturday morning you had your your weekly cartoon shows on so you could listen to the same voices every week you could practice practice and then of course TV was famous for inventing the rerun uh, so you know you would see the same episodes over and over again of the same series so you could practice you know you know, you know the the performance, like trying to capture it and mimic that right down, you know, to the you know word for word. So I think it was a good a good practice ground for myself and a lot of other voice actors. To jump ahead a bit, how um, did you get your start at Lucasfilm uh, with the Clone Wars? The Clone Wars, I started um, in season two, uh, voice matching the character of Masa Meda, who is that uh, sort of blue skinned, cloaked. Uh, alien uh, guy that hangs around uh, Chancellor Palpatine in the Senate and uh, that was my first sort of foray into that series. Was there like instructions on how to do a voice or, or was it kind of just left up to you? Oh no, no, I had very specific instructions. They were looking for something that uh, was an emulation of the character in the film. Now, the interesting thing about that character in the live-action films was that it was portrayed by two different actors uh, because they filmed one of the films that he was in in, uh, in England and the other one was filmed in 
uh, Australia. So uh, I guess you know George Lucas felt that it was uh, you know a character with heavy makeup that didn't really have a lot of dialogue. So you know it was probably more cost effective just to use a local actor in both places and not worry about having to fly somebody first class somewhere from you know wherever they are. So I had that, and you know they had uh, like a short piece of dialogue from one of the feature films. I'm not sure which one it was from. Now it's been been so long but i use that as the jumping off point uh to build the character on and how much time would you say it takes you to like develop the voice is it does it happen sometimes instantly or does it take you hours days you know it really depends on how how close you know the character maybe is to i don't want to say how close it is to my voice because sometimes i do characters that don't sound like me at all but sometimes there's just the mechanics of the voice sometimes engaging those mechanics to you know, to, to get that voice in gear, sometimes it comes very, you know, it comes comes quickly. And then sometimes uh, it can take, uh, you know, days or, you know, like uh, several weeks of practice in order to try to get something down pat. You know, it's very easy uh, in some cases to just mimic known lines from, uh, you know, from from films, you know, very famous lines, you know, like, may the force be with you or something like, you know, things that we all know. The, uh, the hard part with voice matching, uh, comes not from repeating those lines that we all know so well, but from doing the new dialogue that we haven't heard, that we don't know how the actor would, you know, would say that. That's where you really have to have the voice and the character down as an actor so that you, when you emote, when you act, it sort of naturally, hopefully comes out the same way that the, you know, the actor that you're matching would have done it. You're a man of like a thousand voices, especially on the Clone Wars. Do you have a favorite character that you've done on there? You know, there's, there's a, there's a bunch of great characters I did. I th- would have to say my top two would be uh, Tarkin and Mieber Gascon, just because they're so uh, diametrically opposed from each other, both in character and, you know, it's just, you know, one is a, one is a tiny little alien, one is, you know, a, a normal size you know a humanoid uh you know you've got uh they were just a lot they were a lot of fun to do because one was very very villainous in his own way not in his mind but to the rest of the characters and then there was me Gascon, who was a hero in his mind but not so much to the other characters he was around <laughs> right he was always a fun character who just kind of jumped in a scene and kind of took over which is a lot has to do with his voice because he had this big like military voice and it kind of just took over the, the scene was that his character like from the start or did that evolve that way that was something there's interesting the way that character developed uh much like, uh, very much like the and many of the other characters I've done on uh, any Star Wars project. If it's not a character that we all know, like Obi Wan Kenobi or uh, you know Tarkin or Darth Vader, we usually don't have much of an idea of what this character is about when you're auditioning for it. In the case of Mieber Gascon, I had no idea what the character looked like. They had just kind of given me some lines, and the lines weren't even really. They had they were lines from the show that had been. Uh, sort of like adjusted uh, so that you, if they were given to somebody that didn't know anything about Star Wars, you wouldn't know that that's what the audition was for. It was done very secretive. The uh, the direction was to give uh, a very you know very forceful military man something along the lines of uh, General Patton. They were looking for something like that. So I gave my best sort of you know, version of that without doing, you know, a direct George C. Scott sort of impression, which, you know, might go down that road every time you hear Patton because he's so definitively, he defined that role to a lot of people. Then when I got there to the session, that's when they showed me the character and I said, okay, so he's like an alien. They said, yeah, but you you don't know how big he is. He's only like, you know, a foot tall. (laughs) So 
they said what you did in the audition that was great and they said just and Dave Filoni said if you could just do more of that just kind of multiply what you did like by two or three times and just make it more bombastic and more blustery uh, than that so you know he's really full of himself and what he's really trying to do is to he's trying to overcompensate for the fact that he's so tiny he really wants to be taken seriously as a leader and a military man it's just hard to do because most people think that they can just you know get rid of him by stepping on him you know <laughs> right is it easier to voice like the villains um, or like a more fun I would say that the villains villains sometimes Sometimes they can be easier than the heroes because uh, villains have a lot of problems. They have a lot of issues. Uh, most of them need therapy. <laughs> yeah, they need therapy really badly. Right. So there's a lot of things that you can explore. Not only of you know of your own problems, you can say, "Oh, well, I have a little bit of that in me, and I have a little bit of that, and you know, maybe I'm obsessed, or you know, as an actor, partly narcissistic. You know, <laughs> you know, you've got all these things you can kind of hang your hat on to sort of build a villainous character." Sometimes the heroes, they don't have a lot to go on. They can be some, sometimes more difficult to bring uh, some real depth of character to it because many times they're not written as, uh, as uh, in-depth as, as uh, the villain is. I can give you an example. Uh, I worked on a, a Marvel series called Black Panther. And uh, I played the Ulysses Claw character in there. I don't know if you're familiar with him from the comics. But he was, uh, you know, he had way more screen time than the, uh, the hero did in the end and uh, part of it was because you know he had this elaborate villainous plan he was a racist he was a bigot he was a, just a mean bad guy and uh, you had to have that all explored you know if you, you wanted to know well why is the Black Panther and everybody else going after this guy you had to really show how how despicable he was well you know the Black Panther character is like it's a given he's the good guy you know so Sometimes, you know, you, you, you don't spend as much uh, time on, on the good guy character unless it's an origin story. You just kind of presume he's going to save the day. While the bad guy, it's always interesting what his plot is. It's, you know, it's a different thing with each bad guy. This one wants to take over the world. This one wants to assassinate somebody. Uh, this one wants to pull off a big heist, you know. You have characters like Moralo Evol and Cad Bane. <laughs> All bad guys, but very different from one another, you know. Uh, so it's 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 a mixed bag. It really depends on how the character is written and what what the author's intent in the story is. Sticking with the uh, the bad guy theme here, Tarkin has always been one of those characters that fans love to hate, and I know that I I've always enjoyed his character because I think the actor brought so much to the table with that. But how did you study Peter Cushing? Was it just Star Wars related? Did you look at his other films as well? No, it was much more than Star Wars because, you know, he only had the one Star Wars film. Right. And if you add up all of his lines, I think, it, you know, it's maybe like 10 minutes worth of dialogue, if even that. Um, it goes by really quick if you just, you know, string all the dialogue right. uh, to end. So I, you know, you know, took advantage of the fact that, you know, Peter Cushing was a very prolific actor with a long career uh, since I began uh, portraying the character that... Uh, of Tarkin uh, as a young man, I went back to Peter Cushing's early work, uh, the early Hammer films, you know, where he first plays Frankenstein or Van right. Helsing. Mm -hmm. uh, in the end, I sort of settled on his Sherlock Holmes interpretation and kind of made an evil Sherlock Holmes out of the, uh, the Tarkin character. I used that as the jumping off point. The voice, or the, you know, the, uh, the register of the voice, the, uh, the, the inflection, the, the higher register, it all kind of fit in with who Tarkin was as a young man. And, uh, you know, Tarkin in the Clone Wars isn't exactly, 
he's not everybody's cup of tea, but he's not really the villain yet. Right. He's just something that's hard to work with. So, you know, I had to take it. He couldn't make him as bloodthirsty as he became in Star Wars A New Hope. So before you go into the studio, do they, you know, the producers or whatnot, do they, you'll come in there with a specific voice and do they ever say like, ah, Mama, I don't know if I really like that. Can you change it here and there? Or is it before you start recording, it's already set in stone? Oh, no, we change things sometimes right there at the session. In fact, okay. that's happened, that happened on the Clone Wars. Um, that happens sometimes at uh, Disney Imagineering, for instance. You know, at the, the Imagineers sometimes are not working with known characters or their characters that they're creating, something like, you know, like Lord Henry Mystic, the character I did for Mystic Manor in Hong Kong Disneyland. You know, sometimes we, we play around right there in the studio and say, try it this way, try it with a deeper voice. Um, we liked what your audition is, but can we try something a little younger or older? Or just sometimes, you know, the Imagineers, are, they're, they have, they're really good at brainstorming. They have such creative minds. Many times they'll just tell the actor, at least in my case, I've heard them tell me, just what, what do you think would be good or fun or what would you do with it? And uh, it really gives you a chance to explore things and maybe come up with something that no one has ever thought of. Right. Have you had a chance to visit the Hong Kong Disneyland and ride that attraction yet? No, I wish I had. <laughs> uh, the closest I've come to it is, uh, I remember when we were doing some... Uh, some additional dialogue recording for the grand opening in Hong Kong. Uh, they had uh, had me record something that they're going to play over the PA system, uh, you know, to a crowd outside where they're getting ready to open up the uh, the attraction. I was doing it, you know, as the character. But the day that I came in to do that, they uh, they showed me a video of the of the uh, complete. Uh, what do you call it? The ride through. I think. Right. That's the yeah. So I got to see the whole thing. I was amazed. I was completely blown away. The uh, you guys have seen the footage of that, haven't you? Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah. It's that. very unique. You know that, it's amazing, yeah. Yeah, the end sequence, that maelstrom, that giant storm that rips the house apart. I mean, it's some of the best effects I've seen, you know, like standing in front of you without it being on, uh, you know, necessarily in a movie theater <laughs> that I've ever come across. The Imagineers really pulled out the stops on that. So one day I would like to see it in person. When they um, were creating the, well, when you were doing the voice for the um, the attraction, how much did they explain to you when you're doing the voice? It was, did you have everything, you know, set in stone at that point? You know, for the most part, uh, they're really good at sitting you down at Imagineering and uh, explaining to you, you know, the concept of the ride. Sometimes you'll go in and before we even start working, there'll be like, I've, there's been as many as like, you know, eight people in there and uh, everybody that's involved with the project, the writers, the directors, some of the fabricators. Uh, and they'll explain it to you and they'll show you animatics, they'll show you sketches of the characters, they will really break it down for you because, you know, since everything is so secret, you know, I walk in there knowing, you know, almost nothing about what the project is other than what I auditioned for. Uh, with Lord Henry Mystic, it was a long, it was a longer process because the original intent was to record the dialogue in both English and Cantonese, so... Oh, wow. Lot of prep uh, that I had to do with uh, hearing uh, pre-recorded lines in Cantonese, uh, <laughs> memorizing them in a language that I do not speak. Um, in the end, they decided to go primarily. I think the ride is I think about 98% English, 
with uh, some Cantonese. Part of the problem that they ran into was the uh, the English accent that I was using <laughs> did not lend itself to proper pronunciation in the Chinese language. And it would, and since the the Chinese language is very much uh, reliant on you know uh, intonation and so on, uh, you know the, the sort of you know that English accent was throwing everything off. It was there was a lot of things that were being mispronounced that made it funny, but in some cases it made it nonsensical. So. In order to avoid problems with people, you know, comprehending what was being said, they decided to kind of like jettison that. But it was it was fun to do, and it was definitely unique in most in all of my uh, voiceover jobs. Now you voice uh, Sleepy from the the Seven D cartoon, which you mentioned before, and Happy in the Mine Train attraction in Disney World. So how did you come about those voices, especially Sleepy? I love Sleepy's voice because it's uh, it's he's kind of sleepy and kind of a little angry too, and you know, some of how he talks in, in some ways. So how did you come about that? Well, he's only sometimes angry. It's when everybody else won't be quiet so he can go to sleep. <laughs> Love that. That's awesome. Um, well, you know, as you, if you've watched The 70, you know that it's a, it's a slightly different takeoff right. of The yeah. Seven Dwarfs from Snow White. So, um, you know, when I'm doing the voices for the original Seven Dwarfs, like you mentioned, doing Happy, you know, we rely on everything that's... Uh, that was uh, done before us. So there we use, you know, actual voice samples and so on from the film to, to, uh, you know, recapture those, that same feeling. So it sounds like you're listening to the same characters with the seven D they told us originally in the auditions to ignore all of that. Don't even think about the original seven dwarfs. They said, just kind of, you know, knowing the names and the personalities, give us your take on those characters. And, uh, <laughs> obviously you, as you, heard they they liked my take on sleepy and uh, so you know now we're into season two of uh recording season two on a on a show that i think just keeps getting better the more episodes we do oh i think so i love i mean i watch it every single day with my sons but you know i'm enjoying it at least it's you know it, it breaks up some of the other shows that i watch well you know there's so much tom ruger the director the showrunner you know he's known for pinky in the brain and right. you know and Maniacs. and his his sense of humor is is just it's so it's so out there uh you know he can go wacky at a, at the drop of a hat and you know they this the 70s started off really sort of tame uh and then as the scripts they kind of like you know they got their footing they started to understand the characters you know because the writers have to go through the same thing that the uh, the the actors do you know it's like you, you know, like who are these characters how do they work together and the more episodes you do the more it starts to gel you know if you look at one of the original episodes of the simpsons off the tracy allman show and then watch the current episodes you know they're vastly different oh yeah yeah anyways so as you know we season one progressed and we started recording things and the show just started to get funny. We actually went back and re-recorded some dialogue from our earlier episodes so that the humor would sort of like be on par with the later episodes. You know, kind of amped them up a little bit because we know we were just getting getting kind of crazy. But, you know, the list of guest stars in the show that we've had on there with uh, Jay Leno and Whoopi Goldberg, Debbie Reynolds. I mean, you name it. Uh, it's been fantastic. Yeah, it almost should be like on, um, you know, a regular network, not just on the Disney Channel, you know, because it's yes, so well done. Yes, <laughs> Say that loudly. In, <laughs> in syndication, it should be around the world. <laughs> no, I would love to see it on, you know, on ABC. You know, you know, on like seven thirty when the Wonderful World of Disney right. used to be on Sunday nights. I think it'd be uh, a wonderful kind of addition to that uh, that night's programming. 
or even if they just did shorts, you know, between something along those lines, you know, you know, a four or five minute short, a three minute short, whatever it was, um, to get the audience accustomed to it, I think it would do really well. Hey, anything's possible. You know, the great thing about season two is they ordered more episodes than they did on season one. So, uh, you know, that means that the network has confidence in it. That means the audience likes it. I mean, I've seen lots of fan art out there already. Uh, people doing fan fiction, all kinds of stuff yeah. with these characters. So, you know that uh, they've tapped into something when uh, when a lot of the fans, you know, start to embrace it that way. Yeah, exactly. When there's uh, cosplayers at the cons that dress up as... <laughs> It's sleepy then. <laughs> That's a big day. Yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't be so, you know, we've got D23 Expo coming up here in uh, in August. Yeah, true. I'm curious to see, you know, who shows up as what. Yeah, if anybody's out there, show up as sleepy, please do it. <laughs> Steve would like to see it. Well, you know who I, I'm I'm betting that I'll see probably first more than the Seven Dwarfs. I bet I will see some Hildy and Glooms. Uh, oh, yeah, there's no doubt about yeah. that. Those are great designs. Yep. One of the projects that I did um, enjoy the most of yours was Life Itself, the story of Roger Ebert, which was just a fascinating story to watch. How did, did you get involved in that project? Well, that was uh, another interesting uh, another interesting project. Thank you so much, by the way. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed uh, watching the film. It was a uh, labor of love for everyone involved on that. Mm -hmm. I was originally approached by uh, Roger's wife, Chaz, for actually a, a different project that she was working on. And while we were doing that, she said, you know, there's there's another project going on right now, she says, that needs Roger's voice. And uh, we'd like to, uh, you know, introduce you to the director, Steve James. She goes, I don't know if anything will come of it, but, you know, we just wanted to get the two of you together. So she put my managers and myself in contact with Steve James, and he explained what he was doing, and we laid down some samples for him and um, uh, that's where it all began you know I was given some uh, some private uh, sound recordings that uh, from Steve and from Chaz that uh, they wanted me to listen to that had Roger speaking the way he would like you and I are talking right now right. kind of like in somebody's living room not on TV where you know it becomes more presentational and uh, so they wanted something that sounded more intimate and that's what it was based on yeah it is really well done I was I was I was when I first heard about it or actually, when I first saw it, and I'm like, wait a minute, I don't, I don't, how is his voice like this? It's amazing. So, it, absolutely fascinating. I know Keith enjoyed it. Um, I never told Keith that I saw it either, but um, actually, I had no idea that it was even you who did it until um, uh, Keith told me about it. So, it's really well done. Well, thank you. You know, that was uh, Steve James always says that uh, one of the questions he gets most often at uh, when he's doing a you know a Q and A at the end of the screening is people ask him how in the world did he get Roger to record yeah. a biography. <laughs> And uh, and he usually you know has to tell him well it's not really Roger it's uh, Stephen Stanton and uh, so I'm, I'm it's a job well done when people don't realize that it's that it's not him talking yeah right now looking at the the impressive list of characters and celebrities that you've done voice matching is just beyond amazing to us um, the two that stood out for us were Vin Scully and Cesar Romero as a Joker who was the most <laughs> difficult voice to match. Boy, uh, whoever I happen to be working on at the moment, because you know what happens is it's not that often that you're called upon to repeat, you know, the same character. Right. There's new movies and things coming out all the time, and my agents are always throwing actors at me that I haven't done before. You know, so it's always like, oh my god, I've never even thought of what this person, how I would even attempt to do that. But um, 
you know, and uh, they only give you like, you know, five or ten minutes to do it. You know, my agent would call me up and say, hey, the trailer house or the you know studio needs this right away. Or they said, can you do, you know, like, like you just said, Ben Scully or something like that. And I'll say, well, when do you need it? And they say, like, well, in about, you know, 15 minutes from now, we got to record. <laughs> like, oh, for God's sake. You know? Right. <laughs> really enough time to get my brain in gear, especially if you've been doing, like, you know, you spent the rest, you know, the previous two hours doing a Russian accent or something. <laughs> and, like, get that all out of your mind, all out of your, your, your brain and, and clear, the, clear the mechanism, as Kevin Costner says in that, uh, for the love of the game, you know, you got to focus on the, uh, the task at hand. Right everything else out of the way it's it can it can be very daunting and especially when you're doing you know something like life itself where not only are you doing a voice that uh, everyone is familiar with in that case you know not only was the audience familiar with it uh, you know roger's wife uh, his friends family were all going to be listening to it you know the the uh, <laughs> the pressure to get it right sometimes is very great in a um, feature film you know, the whole idea is when I walk into the studio to take over for an actor that can't be there, you know, let's say they're on another part of the world doing their next movie, uh, it has to be seamless. The audience can't know that there's a voice match. It's not like doing a parody on Saturday Night Live. It has to not sound like, it has to sound like them. Right. So, so is that like an example of like when you see um, the credits for a film, you know, say, just to say, um, Toy Story it'll say you know, Steven Stanton other voices is that where that comes in where you're doing somebody else's voice that um, they weren't able to film or record when they were in the studio is that how it works or sometimes a lot of times believe it or not I have to sign a non-disclosure agreement and I get no credit in the film at all wow. they don't want anybody to know that you know they had you know they're just going to leave it leave it out completely gotcha. Okay. But yeah, there's sometimes if you do see additional voices or other voices, that's usually the case is that I probably voice matched somebody in the film and that was their way of giving me credit without saying who gotcha. it was. That okay, interesting. I saw that uh, you did a signing at Celebration that was for uh, the Starlight Foundation. How uh, did you get involved uh, with them? And obviously the 501st uh, was involved too. Well, all of the signings that I've done uh, at any of the conventions have always been, in fact, any of the signings that either my signings that I do or uh, the other actors in our group, like Rick Fitz, Michael Gregory, we always do them for uh, for some charity that we believe in. Uh, in many cases, we've, uh, we've done it in conjunction with another fan organization, like you just said, the 501st Legion or the Mandalorian Mercs, uh, you know, uh, organizations like that. In this particular case, you know, we knew we were going to be at Celebration. Uh, it was a good chance to uh, have a lot of Star Wars fans and, you know, quite possibly raise, you know, uh, some money uh, for uh, uh, a new uh, a new charity. And we wanted to work with the Starlight Children's Foundation because we'd had some personal experience with them, with some friends of ours in Australia who had had to uh, utilize their services. And uh, once uh, the 501st Legion down there kind of told us that, that Starlight was one of their favorites and they gave us even more information than than we already had we really liked what they were doing anyway so when we got started with the starlight children's foundation it was it was primarily like i said uh because we had uh, some experience working with uh working with um uh, this family in australia privately and uh we found out that um, starlight uh what they could do for kids that um, you know that were in, uh, were in hospitals for long stays or kids that have terminal illnesses, we thought that was great. And we, you know, the charities can only do so much. We had started to, you know, step in and help the family out privately on our own. And uh, the more we found out about Starlight, we thought, you know, this would be great to uh, to uh, to work with them 
and help them with what they're doing. Primarily what they do is when a kid, uh, a child has a, a long-term stay in the hospital, or like I said, they're terminally ill, whether they're little kids or whether they're teenagers, they go in and they help out with um, all kinds of like just fun things to distract them. In, in, in like in the UK, they work very much like Make-A-Wish Foundation does over here. Uh, here in the United States, they partner with all kinds of hospitals. Everybody's got one in there. All you have to do is go to the Starlight website, look up places in your area, and you'll see all the hospitals that partner with them. And you can do things like, you know, you can donate $5 and uh, buy a box of crayons or coloring books or what they call distraction boxes, which are boxes with all kinds of puzzles and all kinds of knickknacks and things. And Nintendo has, you know, come up with a gaming system that is hospital grade that they can use in the hospital. So, it's, you know, there's just a lot of things. And I, you know, I was hospitalized when I was a kid. I had to have a major surgery twice uh, when I was five. And I know how... Uh, you know, frightening it was, you know, and in my case, I had to have eye surgery. So like my eyes were patched over. I couldn't see. They'd split in my arms so that I couldn't, you know, pick at the patches. So I couldn't really move my arms. So you know, when you're a little kid, nobody really explains anything to you very much in detail. You just kind of like <laughs> go along with it. So, from you know, my personal experience combined with our, uh, you know, experience helping out, uh, you know, these other kids, uh, we just thought it was a, it was a good fit. So the 501st Legion, uh, Scott Allen of the Southern California Garrison, they were having their big 501st Legion bash, which that happens at every Star Wars celebration. The host, um, you know, the state where it's at, uh, like in this case it was California, they always, you know, they host it. It was Southern California, so Scott's uh, Garrison uh, was the host. So we, we partnered with Scott, and we, we used the outside of the, uh, the party area in the lobby of the hotel to set up where we were going to do our signing. And we didn't think we were going to get that many people to show up because you, if you guys have ever been to Celebration, it's a big party, especially mm -hmm. at the First Legion Bash. <laughs> I mean, that's where everyone's like, they get together to unwind. People from all over the world that have only talked to each other on the, you know, social media, the internet, finally get to meet face to face. It's a great big sort of like family reunion. So we get there and getting ready to set up, you know, to go, uh, you know, to start signing. And there's this huge line and we thought, well, it's the, the line to get in and wasn't it was line people waiting to get Tarkin pictures oh, so nice wow it was, it was fantastic we ended up uh, we uh, our group uh, we decided to uh, myself my managers Rick Fitz we decided to match funds so all in all we raised over seven thousand dollars oh nice one, uh, that's amazing yeah we thought we were gonna we thought we were gonna sign for like two hours and I was there for over four so the wow. uh, Star Wars fans is definitely unmatched so uh, one last question before we go to the Tiki Lightning Round. A friend of mine wanted to know, when you were the voice of Legolas for the, the Lord of the Rings video games, how many hours did you spend recording for that? Because you know, it is a pretty long game. Oh, man. Yeah, we spent days working on those things. I mean, you know, like multiple sessions. like you know, right. And they were all four, full four-hour sessions, which is a video game. I mean, I was my throat was raw at the end of all that stuff. Yeah, those are those are very intense because everything here's the the direction that you get when you go in there. It's like, okay, everything has to be voiced at the level that you would be uh, yelling at in the, on the battlefield. <laughs> it has to overcome battle sound. Right. So there's no, you know, and that becomes, you know, that's just tiresome in a sense it's physically tiresome to the voice you know to, right. to strain like that for hour upon hour and it's not just one take you're doing multiple takes for each you know and if you flub or they want to have it read differently i mean you could end up doing one line you could end up doing it you know like 10 times yeah. 10 different ways uh so yeah those are those are pretty intensive those uh those are 
thankfully we're not doing those anymore. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to go to the Tiki Lightning round. Every guest that we have come on, no matter who they are, they we ask they ask we ask, we ask the same five questions. Uh, your favorite snack in the parks? Oh, let's see the pickle that they have at Disneyland. Have you guys had? The- I've, I haven't had it, but I heard it's really I good. Heard, yeah. <laughs> oh boy, we actually talked bought a whole bunch to take home. Uh, those are great. Oh really? Yeah. Uh, your favorite attraction? At which park? Anyone. Hmm. Uh, Hall of Presidents at Walt Disney World. Really? <laughs> nice. It's a tie. It's a tie between the Hall of Presidents and the Enchanted Tiki Room. And I like the Disney World Enchanted Tiki Room better because they have all the outside, the stuff outside the windows. Right, the vault. Yeah. Thunder clouds. Yeah. Your favorite Disney character? My favorite Disney character. Uh, Baloo the Bear. It's at least today. Today, it's a blue. Right. <laughs> um, favorite Disney movie? Live action or animated? Either one. Okay, let's see. Well, for animated, let me think here. I got a lot of favorites of those. Man, well, that's 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 tough. For live action, it'd be a toss-up between either The Love Bug or 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Oh, nice. So I paid 20,000 Leagues for Adventure, The Love Bug for Comedy. For animation, boy, I, I tell you, I'm a really... I'm a huge fan of Pinocchio just because of what they achieved with that and just realism and, and everything else. I mean, that movie is, uh, you know, I think it even beats Snow White out as far as, like, what they accomplished right. in, uh, in animation. But uh, I'll tell you another one of my another favorite anime is, is The Jungle Book just because I <laughs> it's got great comedy and great characters. And great music. Oh, God, yeah. yeah great music. Your favorite Disney Park memory? Oh, <laughs> getting the Pirates of the Caribbean coin made at Walt Disney World because I was too young to operate the machine myself, and so my dad did it for me, and he misspelled my name. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they had that thing, you got to yes. turn this dial, yeah, and yeah. I think at the last letter he put an X at the end of my name, or so this is oh. like Steve X or something like that on there. Do but you it's still great. have it? Oh, yeah, it has okay. the date and everything, so oh, it's that's great. That's awesome. That's cool. <laughs> um, question, this this one isn't part of the Tiki Lightning Round, but if you could um, voice any character, animated or, or um, live-action character ever, who would it be? Any live-action or animated character ever? <laughs> uh, it's not a good question. <laughs> James Mason, Captain Nemo from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. That's good. That's really so, good. Yeah. I'm trying to think. There's, you know, I'll tell you, one of my favorite films for a lot of reasons, live action, is uh, Mary Poppins, and it's oh, because yeah. it's like a gazillion characters in that thing. Ed Wynn, you know, he's great. You got all the animated characters. That's one of those ones that's. I don't even count that as like in the list of the Disney films. Mary Poppins stands on its own as its yeah. own genre to me. <laughs> You know, because if you love to laugh, you just you can't help it. <laughs> oh my god! It's oh so my! That's awesome. I love when he ta- he does the uh, the wooden leg joke. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. I know a man. With, what? How does it go? A man named Smith. With a, how does it go? Does yeah, I have. Know? A, I know a man named Smith with a wooden leg, and what's his name of his other leg, or something like that. Like, is that what it is? I know a man with a wooden leg named Smith, and what's the name of his other leg? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that part of the movie. It's one of my favorites. Oh, <laughs> and your voice is spot on. Yeah. Uh, thank you. I actually did that character. You know, we there used to be these CDs called Hooked on Phonics. Um, yeah. They were really popular in the 90s, whatever. Right. 
anyway, they were. I, I went in and auditioned for one of these things. And for some reason, you know, it was one of these things where they, they audition. There's like, you know, 20 characters. So you're scratching your head trying to make them all different. So, you know, for one, I just decided to do Edwin. You know, I just went go hooked on phonics, you know. And they said, that's great. We love it. You got to lose that little list that you're doing, though, because this is a phonics <laughs> thing. <laughs> so I did it without it. And he talks very, he enunciated. He was very articulate. <laughs> it's just not the same, though, without the list. <laughs> right. Um, we really appreciate you coming out. We had such a great time talking to you. Um, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you? Um, on social media or if you're you know you're plugging anything you want people to donate to anything um let's see you can find me on, on twitter at uh, steven underscore stanton uh let's see there's i'm also on facebook of course um i have a website it's not really a fan website or anything it's it's actually my work website stevenstanton.com but a lot of people like to go there because i have clips from you know some of the more recent projects that i've worked on samples of my work so if you haven't heard me in anything you can probably peruse that and find something that you have heard me in uh, and said hey, oh i didn't even know that he did that you know that's usually you get i get that a lot right. so which is good which means you know i did my job well exactly yeah so and like i said uh facebook uh, there's two facebook pages one's the personal page that you used to have to have back in the day before you could have like a community or right. camp so that one's just kind of there uh, I don't really post much news on it, but the fan page is the one that's uh, got the little blue check mark on there, so you know it's real, and that's the one where all the up-to-date stuff happens and people can post. That's going to do it for this week, but first we want to thank our sponsor, Loot Crate, the world's greatest subscription box for geeks, gamers, comic book fans, and Disney fans. For more information, visit their site at lootcrate.com slash tiki-talk. Be sure to let us know what you thought of the show. Comment in the notes over at EnchantedTikiTalk.com. Email us at podcast at EnchantedTikiTalk.com. And leave us a message on TikiTalk hotline, which is 256-4MOM-TIKI. That's 256-469-8454. Like us on Facebook. Check out our store at RedBubble.com. And follow us on Twitter at TikiTalkPodcast. Last, if you enjoy the show, please take the time to rate us on iTunes. And you can find me on Twitter at One Minute Disney Dream. That's 1-M-I-N Disney Dream and MouseWorldVacations.com. And you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Dole Whip Daily. And you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram. I'm at Norman Bates. That's N-O-R-M-N-B, the number eight, and the letter S. Thanks for listening this week. For Sean and Keith, I'm Alan, and this has been Enchanted Tiki Talk. Aloha. Have you guys done the, the riverboat at Disneyland? Um, yeah, I have. You know, no, last I time I was there, yes. Because you know I'm the captain of it. Yes, that's know? right. I forgot to ask you about that. That's <laughs> I totally forgot about that. Yeah, well, that's because the riverboat often gets forgotten. It's, it's the ride everyone does when they're tired and they need to rest their Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I heard it. You can hear it. You can hear it in your, you know, your, your talking voice that you're the riverboat captain. You just uh, Your inflection is just a little bit different. Yeah, well, it's it's one of my favorites. That's that sort of based on the Rex Allen character from uh, Carousel of Progress. That's uh, right. And you did the the voice for was it D twenty three for for that as well? Yeah, for two things that I did, we did um, the car- What was it called? The Carousel of Projects at D twenty three, and then they did the attraction Rewind in Florida. 
and they had me do all, it was all uh, dialogue from the ride, except they changed it so I could do all the introductions of the Imagineers that are going to be speaking that day. It was a lot of fun to do. You know, I got to so listen to that on YouTube. You know, it's like, well, the Robins are back, and that's a sure sign of spring. <laughs> and we're going to, well, now we're going to talk about Bob Gurr, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is this is great. We loved uh, talking to you. This is a lot of fun. Alan really missed out for shame on him.